Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 98 with our guest, Nathan Hirsch. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today started his entrepreneurial journey as a broke college student. Can you relate? And today, he is the founder and CEO of the multi-million dollar company, FreeUp. FreeUp connects business owners with the top 1% of virtual assistants, freelancers, and agencies in e-commerce, digital marketing, web development, and much more. Meet Nathan Hirsch. In 2006, Nathan founded his first online venture out of his college dorm room, selling and buying student textbooks. He grew this into revenue in excess of $25 million on Amazon across a six-year period while serving over 10,000 customers. But he always had one problem. It took way too long to find talent. Nathan is the definition of entrepreneur in my book, and I'm excited to learn all I can. Help me welcome to the show, Nathan Hirsch. What's going on, Nathan? Not much. I'm excited to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity, and yeah, it's been fun. Hopefully, I can share some golden nuggets with the, the viewers. Hopefully, right? That's the goal. So um, there's, there's so much here. When I was researching, I just love so much about this. And I, I see you as the epitome of entrepreneur. And that's what I really love about having this kind of conversation. So specifically, free up. We know what it is. Side note, um, I'm, I'm, I, I, I love it. I've used it. Um, and I had a fantastic experience with it. Um, so I can speak firsthand about it. Really, really impressive overall. Uh, so thank you for all of that. Really helpful. And I know that it's, yeah, sure. I, and I know that it's helpful because the goal for any entrepreneur, right, is about hiring and bringing people on. And there's so much that we have to sort of figure out for ourselves as an entrepreneur when it comes to that. So I want to hear how, um, how do we go about um, hiring versus doing it ourselves, right? That's the whole debate. And there's so many voices and conversations and fears and concerns. 
how do we know if and when we're ready? How do we know what we should hire for? How do we know if we should just, uh, you know what, I'll just take the time to do it myself? So many questions. <laughs> a lot of questions. And I think it comes down to why some of the most successful entrepreneurs are the laziest, right? They, they kind of know what they're good at. They're good at one to three things. And a lot of entrepreneurs, they'll go out, go out there and try to learn everything. They'll take all these courses, all these different programs, and just try to become a master at so many things. And then you have the entrepreneurs that are like, I'm good at sales. I'm good at processes. That's all I'm going to do. And I can just hire people that have already taken these courses, that have already worked for an agency and, and learned how to do that and get them to, to go do it at a very high level. So for me, it's all about figuring out what your core competency are. What, what do you do better than everyone else? And I really have the mentality that it's really hard and not a great use of time to try to turn weaknesses into strengths. Even when I hire someone, if I find out they're a bad writer, for me to invest time into making them a good writer almost never ends up in me getting a return on my investment there. So the same thing is there with your time. If you focus on what you're good at, that's really step one. And from there, I like to look at the numbers. I look at how much money did I actually make last month and how aggressive do I want to be? If I want to be really aggressive, maybe I'm investing 40 to 60% of my profit back into the business, into hiring. If I'm more conservative and we're all in a different place in our life and our business with different obligations, maybe it's 10 to 30%. And once you figure out what that number is, and not to get too deep into that, but next I create two lists. The first list is everything I do on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, the things that I actually have processes for, and I assign a value to it. This takes me four hours a week. This takes me two hours a week. And you prioritize that list from easiest to hardest, and you start chipping away at the top of the list with the goal of getting your hours back. And the second list is everything you're not good at. I sit down with my partner all the time and we just go back and forth saying you're bad at this and you get over that it hurts a little bit but you eventually write everything down and hopefully you realize you complement each other very well as a business partner which we do but we also find that there's always these list of things that we're both doing that neither of us are good at and we should hire specialists and experts to come in and turn those weaknesses into strengths a lot quicker than we can. Wow, so much good there. And isn't it about the person might say, yeah, but I don't, have, I don't really have the finances to. And it, it also comes down to, well, what's the alternative? You're going to be spending your time doing it and begrudgingly or learning how to do it or not doing it right or even doing it right. But what's the payoff? You're spending all that time. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. If, you're, if you have a startup and you have no cash, like you're going to be wearing a lot of different hats. But once you start having success, you start having money coming in and the revenue stream, then it becomes about what do you do with that money and what tasks do you slowly take off your plate to get closer and closer to just doing your core competency. Yeah, I, um, I love all that because let me put it in, into perspective of this very thing I'm doing here. You're a podcast host, uh, so you know that even producing one show, making one episode a reality, there's a, uh, a plethora of things prior that go into it that have to be done one way or another uh, during it and post 
leading up to it. Um, I don't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Um, I don't have a big helpful team. But what I'm starting to do, like you said, is list out some of the things that I'm currently doing that, you know what, I really eventually wish I'm not, I'm not the one that wants to be doing this. So I have it on a very side burner, like, okay, the next the next hire is going to be someone to do that. And the brilliance today, no matter what the task is, oh, there's somebody proficient that can do it. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it's very similar to, I mean, when I started my Amazon business, knowing what your, what your time is actually worth. Back then, my time was worth nothing. It was probably worth <laughs> less than five bucks an hour. So I should be doing every little $5 an hour task. As you get farther along and the business becomes bigger, hopefully your rate goes to $100 an hour and then $1,000 an hour. And then you have to decide, is it really worth it for me to do this $25 an hour task or should I continue to just stay high level, sales, marketing, expansion, big picture stuff and hire people to do everything below? What is, uh, on the free up platform, what are some of the, the low hanging fruit jobs that somebody could could hire for so i like to divide it into three different levels so you got basic mid and expert so a basic level virtual assistant a lot of time when you think of virtual assistants that basic level non-us five to ten bucks an hour they have years of experience because we're not a marketplace for newbies but they're followers they're there to follow your systems your processes so that could be customer service it could be bookkeeping it could be sourcing products I mean, we both might hire someone for customer service and we could both hire someone with five years of customer service experience, but the way that you do customer service is gonna be way different than the way I do. So they're followers. And then you got the mid-level, the specialists, the graphic designers, the bookkeepers, the content writers. You're not hiring a graphic designer to uh, teach them how to be a graphic designer, but they're not consulting with you either. They're doers. They're to take projects and execute them at a high level. And then you got the experts, the high-level freelancers, consultants, agencies. They can project manage. They can run Facebook ads. They can handle conversions. They can manage, let's say, your Amazon account, whatever it is. And they're there to bring their own strategy to the table and execute things at a high level. So you're not going to hire an expert and say, do it my way. So it really just depends on where you are in your business. If you're someone that's stuck in the day-to-day -day operations and you can't get out, you got to hire those followers. If you just have those projects piling up, you got to hire some doers and crank those out. And if you're someone that's taking on something new, let's say it's Facebook ads, you have to decide, hey, is it a good use of my time to spend the next six months learning how to be a Facebook ad expert? Or should I just hire an expert to come in and hit the ground running right from the beginning? This, this industry you're in is, is very competitive and you've made it work. Um, what do you attribute that to? I know part of, your, um, part of your pitch is that you interview and vet and only take on the top 1% of applicants. And what I also love is that it's based on skill, attitude, and communication. Talk to me about those three things and why those are so meaningful. Yeah, so, so back in the day, I used to hire people for my Amazon business, and I would hire people just for skill. Someone that have a great resume, someone with a lot of experience, maybe they got some five-star reviews online, and three months later, it would blow up in my face, and I was sitting there wondering, why? How is it possible that I would hire someone that was so talented and have it just be a complete waste of my time? And I slowly realized that skill was just one part of the equation, and that we really wanted people that had 
not just the skill, but the attitude and the communication as well. So going through them, skill. We don't need everyone to be a 10 out of 10. I hire people that are five out of 10s. I let people on the platform that are three out of 10s. What I care about is that you're honest about what you can and cannot do and you're priced accordingly. There's a time and a place for everyone. So we put people through skill tests. If they're a graphic designer, we look at their portfolio. If they're an Amazon expert, we have Amazon questions. So skill is different depending on what they're claiming they can do, but the attitude and the communication is the same across the board. For attitude, we do one-on-one -on -one interviews. We look for people who are passionate about what they do. They're not just in it for the payments. If you hate bookkeeping and I hate bookkeeping, if we hire a bookkeeper, they need to love being a bookkeeper as much as I love being an entrepreneur. Those are the type of people that I want to work with. They have to not get aggressive the second something doesn't go their way. They have to be able to take feedback without taking it personally. There's a lot of attributes that go into someone with, with that ideal attitude. And then communication is everything. It doesn't matter what their attitude is and what their skill is. If me and them can't communicate at a high level, it's not going to work out. So we have 15 pages of communication best practices that they have to memorize and get tested on before they get on our platform. And once they're on our platform, we hold them to those initial expectations. If someone's taking on projects they can't do at a high level, we're not a place to experiment on our clients. If they show any signs of a bad attitude, if they don't communicate, if we have to chase them, if they're not responding within a business day, we're very quick to just remove them from our platform. So that's really the trifecta of the skill, the attitude, and the communication. What I love most about your platform that I, I, I used and loved and had a great experience, I've, for years, I've used other marketplace platforms like this. And the thing with that is you have to post your, your job that you're hiring for and then click submit. And then over the next six to 12 hours, you get inundated with um, dozens and dozens, if not more, of uh, emails and notes and resumes that you sort of have to sift through. But what I, I didn't expect this about free up. What you do is you take on that burden. So when I submit my, my job request, you do whatever you guys do in the background and come to me and say, hey, from what you need, from what you said, from what you want to achieve, this freelancer, and you give me one option that I can then yay or nay and go from there. Yeah, so we set the default as one. We're, we're pretty good at getting it right on, on the first try, um, but we'll send one person. But if you're like, hey, send me three, send me five, we're, we're more than happy to do it. We understand that everyone has their own hiring process. But I mean, for me back in the day, and, and I was using the other platforms out there, I didn't want to go through 50 applicants. I wanted to just hire someone today. And, and for me, that's really the beauty of free up. I mean, don't get me wrong. The pre-vetting is great. I'm all about customer service. We have that no turnover guarantee where if someone quits, we cover replacement costs. But the biggest thing for me is time. I can always make more money. I can never get my time back. So for me to put in a request, get someone quickly and get started with them, to me, that's where the value is at as an entrepreneur. And that's what I wish I had back in the day that I kept looking for. And when I couldn't find it, that's when I built Freya. So let's talk about um, hiring from the entrepreneur's point of view, because um, I know not everybody feels like they're capable of it, that they're good at it. What's your, what's your thought on what's needed and, you know, to, to be a good, a good boss, a good leader to hire? Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is no one has a 100% hiring record, right? I don't, you don't, no one out there does. If you hire enough people, you're going to make mistakes. And 
there's so much outside of your control, right? From their personal issues, they get another job offer, whatever it is, you have to focus on what you can control. And what you can control is the planning that I talked about before, about setting your budget and figuring out what you want to take off your plate, the interview process, which the skill, the attitude, the communication, and and really making sure that that person is the right fit for you and in your working environment, because even the best freelancers in the world aren't the best fit for every single client out there. It's the setting expectations after the hire, getting on the same page right from the beginning, which is where so many entrepreneurs go wrong. And then it's everything after that, the feedback loop, asking for feedback, giving feedback, the how you manage, how you lead, how you talk to people. I had a client that I was dealing with yesterday who keeps going through VAs because she just talks to them in a way that no one wants to be talked to. And until you change that, nothing else matters. So you really have to focus on what you can control and, and not worry about the other stuff. And I mean, if you want to scale your business, hiring is the only way. There's very few $1 million a year or $5 million a year solo entrepreneurs out there. If you want to scale your business, you have to hire. So true. Um, what is, um, let's, let's now talk about trust. Cause I know, and I want to hear it in context of your past. Cause I know in your, uh, prior business ventures, you found yourself wanting to step away for a little bit, but then having to deal with trust. Yeah, I mean, trust is one of those things that it's very easy to break and, and hard to build a, a relationship on trust. I mean, overall, the question I get asked a lot is just about security. And the way that I like to look at it is, I mean, we get, it's so hard to get on our platform. We let in one out of every 100 people. Once they're on our platform, the average person cares a lot more about staying on our platform, getting more clients, making sure you're taken care of, than they do about jeopardizing your business or your situation in any way. Now, even if you hire your best friend to sit right next to you, there's always a chance they do something stupid and jeopardize your business. So the risk is always going to be there. There's nothing I can do to make that risk zero. And you can have them sign all the NDAs you want. I mean, are you really going to chase someone across the Philippines over a piece of paper? Um, You can set up LastPass. You can give user permissions. Those are all good things. But the number one way to really build trust and protect your business is building relationships with people that you work with. I mean, I've had people that I fired. I've had people who quit on me and they didn't want to hurt me. I didn't want to hurt them because we had built the relationship. So for me, that's the part that gets lost. I I see a lot of new clients when they're trying out the platform like, oh, how how can I structure this NDA or or make sure they don't get the the access to this email account? I'm like, no, focus on the relationship first. That's the really the thing that over time, if you can build that relationship, you get in a situation like mine where I have people like Cheeks who's worked with me for eight plus years and Marius who handles my billing team who's a rock star and I could go on and on of these A players that are I get along with great. I actually have a virtual assistant from the Philippines coming over for dinner tonight who's been on my team. So that's kind of cool. She just happens to be in Orlando. But you build those kind of relationships and the risk just continues to get lower and lower and lower. I love that you bring relationships into this because I know you feel very strongly as I have in my current world, I see the value and I'm experiencing the value of networking. And um, I, I used to shy away from that word, like just, uh, I, I don't want to go to events. I don't want to go to breakfast. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to do all that. But it, but, but it doesn't have to be about that, right? It's just about even like this. We are networking. It's just about finding ways to connect authentically with people online. And I think that all of that would help 
lessen your fear and not come to the table with this insecure, desperate fear base that you almost will then be attracting, which is what I did my whole life. I was needy, desperate, insecure. And by, by coming forward with that, I didn't attract the people that were right. I attracted the people that were validating my neediness and insecurity and desperation. And that never worked out well. So by the mindset in place, right? Being secure and um, professional and building these relationships, however you can, that's when you could minimize that risk and meet the right people who want to do the right work with you. Yeah. And I don't know if I've shared this on a podcast before, but the first thing I do every morning is try to network with three people, just reaching out to them. And I mean, yes, it's led to clients over time, but I don't go in with a sales mentality. It's led to partnerships and relationships and, and different opportunities. And sometimes there's a way that I can just help them. And sometimes there's a way that they can help me. And, and you also learn from it over time. You mentioned like being needy back in the day. I mean, back in the day, I was a salesperson. I would go in hard and aggressive and it took me a lot of times of getting rejected and no one wanted to talk to me to change my approach on, on how I network. So you learn and you grow and you build relationships, which opens up lots of other opportunities. And I, I completely agree with everything that you said. Yeah. And I love that. Um, I mean, that, that whole thing, three people every morning. So uh, last year, last summer, I started this podcast and I didn't know much more than that where I was going to go with this brand, but I knew that it would take me somewhere. I would figure the parts out along the way in real time as I needed, but I knew, you know what, the podcast is going to be a great first step for me. Little did I know that early on, people started asking me, oh, um, how many downloads do you have? How many listeners do you have? And or, or I, I quickly realized, you know what? I don't really care about that. What I care about is that now to date, I've networked. I've, I, I, I've compared these notes. I've been connected with now 98 incredible people which is extremely more valuable than how many people are listening. So it's all priority. It's all perspective. It's, it's what's meaningful. Yeah, the listeners are great, and a relationship with the listeners and for the listeners is great. But what I realized is being able to connect and network with people in this fashion has been infinitely more valuable. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, networking is key. What's that old saying? Like your, your network is your net worth, which I, it's funny back in the day. So with my Amazon business, I, I kind of had discovered Amazon before most people. I, this was back in 2008, 2009, when Amazon was just becoming more than a bookstore. And I figured it out. I spent a lot of time, a lot of trial and error. And I kind of felt like I had this big secret and I didn't want to talk to anyone because I didn't want anyone to steal my ideas. And mm. hindsight's 2020 because all these people that came like slightly after me that learned Amazon, they became all the gurus. They started networking. They started teaching everyone else how to sell on Amazon. So there I was, I discovered it before a lot of them. I had success before a lot of them, but I was so focused on, on being really selfish for lack of a better word and, and not sharing and not adding value to other people that it held me back. And when I started free up, I kind of went in with the mentality that I need to do a complete turnaround and I want to network with everyone. I want to help people. I want to give people knowledge about hiring, even if they never try or create a free up account. And when you go in with that value, a lot of different opportunities open up that, that weren't there before. 
It's so interesting because I, what I hear you saying is something that um, I want to expand on. No matter what your business is, whatever the product or service, it's so much more than pushing that out to the marketplace, right? It's teaching, educating, connecting, communicating um, in and around that where that becomes the next logical step. Right. A hundred percent. It doesn't matter what your business is. I mean, if someone wants to steal your business, copy your ideas, like they're going to do it, whether you network or not. And the networking is going to open you up to, to learning other ways and learn how to pivot and change your business and improve it. I mean, that's why masterminds and different conferences are, are so effective. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've completely changed my attitude and, and networking with people over time has just led to the most amazing, amazing relationships and even podcasting. I, I just launched my podcast not long ago and that in a few weeks has, has opened up opportunities that, that weren't there before. That you almost couldn't have even projected. Yeah, absolutely. Right. When, when you just talk to people with, without the mentality of going in for the sale, that you go with no agenda and you tell them about your business, they tell you about yours and you find commonality, you find how you can help each other, really awesome things happen. And it also might not present itself for a year or longer. A conversation you had or it might down the road you're like oh I don't know how that's even gonna turn into anything and then it just simmers and then one day it does that's the beauty of it I want to come back and see how you got again you accomplished all this in your 20s multi-millions etc successful businesses solving a problem learning all this what was life like growing up for you as a child what kind of child were you so, so my parents just left. Uh, they were visiting for the weekend. And growing up, my parents were bo both teachers. My dad taught at my high school. My mom taught at my kindergarten. And I always grew up with the mentality that I was going to go to school, get good grades, get into college, get good grades, get a job, work for 30 years plus, retire. And that was going to be my life. And that's, that was their life. They worked for 30 years. They're retired now. They're crushing life. They're traveling the world. They did a great job saving every penny on a, a very modest salary. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not what I wanted. And, and I knew that at a very young age. When, when I would take math or business courses, I was excited. I would get A's easily. And when I took a class that I didn't care about, whether it was bio or any type of science, I mean, I, I would do the absolute bare minimum to get in and out of that class as quickly as possible. And it used to drive my parents crazy. Uh, not throw in that I never really liked authority. I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of resonate with that. They don't like being told what to do or how to do it or have to, I mean, just looking at the clock at, at work is very similar to working at the clock in school. You're almost like trapped there with no flexibility. And, and I hated it. So I would rebel. I would talk back to teachers. I mean, I probably wasn't, I wasn't going more than that into like drugs and, and alcohol or, or any kind of thing like that. But I was right on the edge of just someone who was a, a smart aleck talking back to people and, and not really caring what, what people would say or, or that direction. So when, when I did get to college and, and I had to pay for my own college, I, I told my parents, I, I was like, I'm going to get straight A's across the board. If I'm paying for this, I'm going to get it. And they, they almost gave me the like, yeah, right. Even though they supported me, they just had never seen me do it because I would always just get good grades in the, in the subjects I wanted and not care about the others. I ended up getting Dean's List every semester in college. So when I put my mind to something and I actually wanted to do it, I could do it. But I think that led to a lot of, um, <laughs> I don't know, like just back and forth with my parents because they always wanted me to go in one direction and I always wanted to go in another. So then how did the, um, how did the textbook thing come about? Because that happened in college, right? 
Yeah, so I was a broke college kid. I was looking for extra side money. And, and I kind of knew that college was a ticking clock for me because I'd had these internships in high school and at the beginning of college. My parents always made me have a summer job during the summers, uh, 40, full-time, 40 hours a week. And all my friends were outside playing. I was inside working. Learned a ton about customer service, about sales. But I also just learned I hated working for other people. So when I got to college, I was like, all right, I got four years to start a business. I'm going to get my college degree and have it in my back pocket so that I don't end up homeless at the end. And I started hustling and I started buying and selling people's textbooks, competing with my school bookstore. I created a little referral program. I used that summer money to buy the books. And before I knew it, I had lines out the door of people trying to sell me their books to the point where I actually got a cease and desist letter from my college telling me to knock it off because I was stealing too much of their business. So I, I kind of pivoted. I, I had sold some books on Amazon. No one really knew what Amazon was. I thought it was pretty cool. I could have this 24-7 store, and I just had to figure out what to sell. And I started experimenting with outdoor products and sporting equipment and video games, typical college guy stuff. And I just failed over and over and over. And the only thing I could get to sell were these books. And it wasn't until I branched out of my comfort zone a little and found the baby product industry that my business took off. So if you can imagine me as a 20 year old single college guy selling millions of dollars of baby products on Amazon, that was me and it was all trial and error and, and reading the market. Um, from there, I, I, I had to pay taxes. So I met with an accountant and one of the first questions he asked me was, when are you gonna hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off, I was like, why would I do that? That's money out of my pocket. They're going to steal my ideas. I can work seven days a week. I love what I'm doing. And there you go. He just laughed in my face and he said, you're going to learn this lesson on your own. Sure enough, my, my first fourth quarter comes around busy season and I just get destroyed. I'm not prepared at all. I'm working 20 hours a day. My grades go down. My social life is, is destroyed. And I somehow make it out to January because I, I just worked until I couldn't work anymore. And I think to myself, I can never let that happen again. I, I need to start hiring people. So I know nothing about hiring. I, I post a job on Facebook. This guy in my business law class messages me. I go, you're hired. I didn't even interview him. And he ends up being an amazing hire. He's smart. He brings a lot to the table. He makes my job easier. He's my business partner, Connor, on both Amazon and FreeUp. Oh, this is, that's how he came. Oh my gosh, go ahead. My, my first hire. So there I am, this punk kid thinking, man, this hiring thing is easy. You post a job on Facebook, someone shows up, you make more money, your life becomes easier. And, and that's when I just proceeded to make bad hire after bad hire after bad hire, learning a ton along the way, going into the remote hiring world because I got sick of dealing with college kids and, and eventually to free up. So that's kind of the short version on how I went from a broke college kid to starting the book business, the Amazon business, finding Connor, and then getting into the remote hiring world. I read that your, your parents instilled um, a financial education into you at a very young age, true? Yeah, my parents are great and amazing, and I'm fortunate they put up with me when I was a, a punk kid, um, but they, they've always been supportive. I mean, they, they don't care what I do as long as I'm happy and I don't end up in prison, I don't end up homeless on their, on their doorstep. If I wanted to become a dancer or a business owner or a teacher, whatever it was. So for me, they, they were all about finances. I mean, 
they, I grew up next to, I, I lived in East Longmeadow and I went to school in Longmeadow because that's where my dad taught. And everyone in Longmeadow, their parents were doctors, lawyers, dentists, big business owners. And there I am, my parents were both teachers. So growing up, I, I didn't really understand it because you always want more. You always want what your friends have. But they were amazing at saving every little dollar. I mean, we didn't have cable until I was in high school. Um, they would be, everything was planned around like trips and experiences rather than material goods. But they taught me how to have a savings account, how to never have credit card debt, to how to um, how to have like a, a portfolio long term. Wow. Um, really, everything about finances and, and how to actually structure a life that you can have fun and enjoy, but also save for the future. And I mean, that's how they're able to travel now on two teacher salaries. Wow. So um, that's, that's incredible. I have a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son, and I am actively saying, you know what, now is the time. I got to start, right? Is right. that how young you were, um, you were opened up to it? Yeah. I mean, I was, when I would get an allowance, like that was it. That was my time to buy stuff. If I wanted toys, I would have to pay for it myself. Everything was really structured about me learning money at a young age. And at the time it drove me crazy. I didn't understand it. I thought that I was learning it too young, but I mean, now I look at a lot of people I know that are in tons of debt that don't pay their credit cards on time, that don't have a, a retirement account that or don't take advantage of different opportunities that, that are out there. So for me, I'm so lucky that I, I kind of have that basis. And I'm also confused on why they don't teach that in school. I mean, it's something that mm. applies to everyone. If you don't understand it, it's really tough to have success in life, but it's overlooked in so many ways. I, I, I agree with that. What did you do um, as a 20 year old with all this money coming in? I imagine now hearing this, you, you invested it uh, uh, responsibly. <laughs> yeah, I actually bought a lot of Amazon stock back in the day, which was a, a great purchase. Um, but I mean, I feel like every entrepreneur goes through like a honeymoon period. Like once I made money, like I bought my first car and you, I, it's not like I was just like throwing money at everything, but you kind of buy the stuff that you want that you never got to. And then that honeymoon period kind of expires and you're like, all right, like let, let's focus, let's, <laughs> let's be strategic and, and get this done. So yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty frugal guy. I, I still have a car that I bought in college just because I think a car is a terrible investment. I'm not a car guy. I bought my, my condo here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going out there buying like luxury cars or luxury accessories. I, I live a pretty good life. I can be wherever I want, whenever I want. I travel a good amount and, and I plan for the future. And just in case everything goes out, whether it's the economy or we all know businesses can fail, different things can happen. Um, I, I want to be protected as well. So that, that's kind of my mentality. You bring up a good point. You said you're frugal, which I've read enough articles on the, the wealthiest financial uh, successful business owners and, um, you know, um, Warren Buffett's, Mark Zuckerberg, all of them always say you have to have that mental uh, mentality of frugalness even with free up, I mean, like buying this free up shirt, it took me three years into the business before I bought free up shirts. Like we, we, we have that lean mentality across the board. We're not spending any money unless we think it's a good investment, something that's actually going to help us. And it makes sense. I mean, what, what makes sense in year one is different than what makes sense in year two and different from year three. So for us, it, it's not just in life and Connor has the same mentality as me. It's, it's in business in general. And it just leads you to making good business and life decisions overall. You strike me today as somebody very confident, very competent, very able. Um, 
Can you tell us a time where that wasn't the case? More specifically, my brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, was founded on the very, very fact that I spent years in hiding hiding behind fear, using that as an excuse for everything that I couldn't do, wouldn't do, or shouldn't do. Um, can you tell us about a time where fear just struck you and you had to move through that? Yeah. So around year like one and a half of my Amazon business, I was, I was on top of the world. I was crushing it. I had a business. I thought, hey, I don't have to get a job after college. And I, I was pretty stressed out. I was working a lot of hours every day. And this was before I had made some really good hires. And I hired a manager of the day. I thought if I could just get one person to do everything, my life will become easier. So I spent six months teaching this person how to do customer service, list products, reprice everything. And at the end, it was awesome. I, I mean, I, I could, the whole business ran without me. And on the flip side, I had this one supplier who was about 85% of my business. And I said, you know what? I don't care about that 15%. Let's focus on that 85 and let's crush it. So I have my business on autopilot. One manufacturer, orders are flying in. They're all getting filled, customer service. And I deserve a vacation, at least in my mind. So I go to Myrtle Beach and I'll never go back. On the first day of my vacation, I get three phone calls. The first from the manager of the day quitting on me. So six months of training down the drain. Second from the supplier dropping me, telling me no longer want to do business with me. And third, just to top it off, someone had filed a fake tax return in my name and stolen $40,000 from the government. And I was going to have to deal with my identity being stolen when I came back. So I went from being on top of the world to no one can tell me what to do. I'm in control of my destiny to let's start all over again. And I mean, it was embarrassing to have to tell my parents like, oh, I was crushing it last week, but now I have to start all over again. I mean, that was rough. And fortunate enough, I mean, I put my head down and I learned from that experience. And I, I reached out to every possible manufacturer and I built relationships with over 200 so that if one dropped me, it wasn't the end of the world. And once I was ready to hire again, I diversified and departmentalized. So it was one team for customer service, one team for listing. And if people quit it, it wasn't that big of a deal. But that like 90 days after that was brutal. You're, you're doubting everything. You're doubting all the hard work you put in. Was it worth it? You're doubting, do I want to take more risks? Is it, is it worth it if, if I can just fail that hard again? To What do I tell other people that all of a sudden like saw this success and, and now I'm like right back in, in what, like going to college and having to get a job again? So, I mean, that was a brutal time for me. Mm. So, so intriguing. So, um, your, I, I love earlier, you mentioned that um, every entrepreneur needs to know that they're really good at one to three things. What are those one to three things for you? Um, yeah, I'm good at sales. I come from a, a point, I, now I'm not pushy as I was before, but I come from a point of generally wanting people to have a good experience on my platform and actually listening and understanding what people's problems are and, and turning into a solution that that hopefully involves free up. So I've got the sales um, processes is big for me. I mean, everything from our customer service to our billing to our lead generation, all that stuff is processes that I've developed um, and customer service. And for me, I, I think you asked before, how do you compete with like the big players, the Upworks and the Fivers? To me, you can't compete with them on marketing. You can't compete with them on development. You can always compete with them on customer service. And, and I've spent years from Amazon where Back in the day, Amazon, I mean, they're still about customer service, but it was less FBA back then. It was all manually fulfilled. So 
you are a lot more involved in the customer service process and, and really making sure the customer is happy and leaves you a five-star review to, to free up where these are real people. 99% of the time, they do a great job. There's always going to be that 1% of the time where something's got to match, and, and it's how you handle that, especially as a startup. So, And also being able to teach other people those same customer service skills because I'm only one person. We have thousands of clients. If someone's going to interact with my assistant on a Saturday night, I want them to have that same high-level experience that I, they would have talking to me on the phone after we get off this podcast. So for me, that's where I come in, the sales, the, the processes, and the customer service. And really everything else, either Connor handles, he's much more of a, a content developer guy, um, or we hire other people for it. The, the thing I'm learning most about myself and how entrepreneurship works these days for me is that it's not only about what you do out here, it's what goes on in here. Of course, the mindset and how you treat yourself and your habits have been the most uh, pivotal thing that I needed to change. Um, really taking an honest look at my bad habits, what was not serving me, what am I not doing, why am I doing them so I can get rid of them and replace them with better ones. And I know at least one thing we have in common with that uh, in a daily routine is we both wake up early. And just the real importance of that, something as simple as that, instead of somebody making an excuse uh, get up 15 minutes earlier this week and see how that feels. Stop hitting the snooze button, which I've learned is uh, detrimental. And if you just literally get up when the alarm, much better for everything. So instead of making an excuse, you could really get up earlier because as I've learned, and I know you have too, how you start that morning and the, taking the time you need to uh, mentally, physically, emotionally prep for the day is everything. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned my parents were just here and they left like pretty late last night and it's been a long week. I, I mentioned I, I got engaged and all that. So um, to this morning, I actually slept in, which I normally don't do. And I can already tell how far behind I am in the day. I, it's, it's a completely different. And it, those days when I can get up at 536 and have from that time until nine with no one bothering me and no one else awake and I can get stuff done. I mean, those are the most productive days. And and now, like I said, when I get to a day where I don't do that, it's like, it's way less productive than those other days. It's so true. And again, if you're listening or watching, um, you, no matter who you are, where you are, what your issue or roadblock is, getting up early or getting up earlier is something you can do. Instead of looking at the big picture, whatever that goal is, I have to lose 50 pounds, I have to make $50 million, whatever your goal is, instead of seeing it as this massive thing, the only way you achieve things is by these slow, steady, incremental wins over time and something like getting up early, which I, 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 have, I, I teach in part when applicable, I teach my clients this and it, it's a game changer. They come back and they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm getting up early and it just, it, it just works. It's so simple. Yeah, 100%. I mean, <laughs> I kind of structured it. So like when I was 20, 21, I would wake up late. And then as I got to 25, I'd wake up an hour earlier and then a few years an hour earlier. So over time, it's a, you get earlier and earlier and earlier. I'm not 100% sure why. I wish I woke up earlier back in the day. But yeah, and the other thing, everyone's different. I mean, I work with clients that crush it from like midnight to 6 a.m. That's like their time. And I could never do that. I'm much more of that early morning person. But 
figure out when you're the most productive and maximize that time. To me, that's what it's all about. Oh my goodness. I used to be the night owl and that was my thing. I'm like, leave me alone. I'm working. I'm getting things done. I'm doing things. And then over the past handful of years, I, I became a morning person and I never thought it would happen, but it happens. And, and again, you just have to listen to yourself and see, see what's happening. Looking back on a, um, on a younger version of yourself, what conversation would you have with that person? Oh man, that's a, a great question. So for me, it's all about treating people better. I mean, I, I, I tell a story about how I used to have 50% turnover. I opened up an office in Orlando, probably one of the worst business decisions I ever made. And I, I hired people and people just kept quitting on me. And I couldn't figure out why. And eventually I asked the same person who had quit for the same role, like three different times, three different people for the same role quit. And I asked him to do an exit interview. And there's only one type of exit interview, and that's a really uncomfortable one. <laughs> and I'm sitting there across the table. I'm pissed at him for wasting my time. He's mad at me. And I just asked him for feedback. And he just hit me to the gut. He told me everything that was wrong with my hiring process, my management, my leadership, how I talked to people, the culture I created, other people in the company. And it hurt a lot. But I should have written that guy a check right there because that – that information saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars in the future. It lowered my turnover below 5% now. I mean, I can't even remember the last time someone quit on me. And it, the whole mentality of stop having the, I'm the boss and I have to talk down to every little person. No one wants to work in that environment anymore. And for, for me, if I could go back to my old self, I would definitely tell myself to treat people better, learn how to become a better leader, a better manager. But I also came from that management style. I mentioned I only really had two internships, the internship, the intern I had at Firestone, which was the bigger one, I had a manager who was a successful manager by the money, but everyone hated working for him. He would stress everyone out. He would talk down to people. No, he wasn't really nice. And that's the management style that I learned from. I thought that's how you have success. And, and I really carried that over into my business. And it took me years of feedback and then eventually getting that brutal feedback to really change it around. And I wish I changed it around earlier. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe that every failure is there for a reason. It, it's just a lesson. You have to learn those lessons as you go. And no, no one has a, like an entrepreneurship journey that just looks like that. It's a lot of ups and downs. And you, you really have to become like numb to all of that. When you're on top of the world, you, you have to stay humble and know that you're, you're one bad thing away from getting knocked off the pedestal. And when you're up below, you, you got to stay focused and say, what did I learn? How can I fix it? How can I avoid making those mistakes again? And I feel like if you have that mentality, that, then yes, everything does end up happening for a reason long term. It's so true that um, it's all, I mean, you hear it over and over, but it all, you know, failure and frustration, it's all part of the process. And what I'm learning and have learned is that it's like if, if you're baking a cake, you can't bake the cake without the eggs, right? So the eggs are the failure as you, in order to succeed, you're going to be met with failure, with resistance, with frustration. It is part of the almost necessary process that you just have to come to accept. And okay, it's not that bad. It's just part of the whole. Now, how do I move on and continue baking this cake? Yeah, completely agree. What do you, are, are, are you spiritual or religious in any ways? <laughs> um, I don't talk politics or, religious on, or religion on podcasts. Sorry. Just a, a rule I have. What about the spiritual side of things? 
I'm not, no. I'm very much more in the, the logic. I mean, my parents are both teachers. I, I consider myself a more logical person than, than spiritual. What if I asked, what do you believe happens when it's all over? <laughs> that I probably won't answer on a podcast. I just work with too many clients over a course of, of different things, and, and I don't want to offend anyone. Absolutely fair. Respected. I appreciate that. So I will leave you with this final question. Nathan Hirsch. How would you like to be remembered? I want to be remembered as someone that changed the hiring industry, not just for the client side and making it easier for them, but there's a whole other side in the freelancer side that they don't like competing against 50 people for every project. They don't, they don't like having bad clients or having to chase payments. I want to make it better for both sides. And I mean, one of the best things, one of the greatest moments is, is when we hit $7 million, we paid out $7 million to freelancers last year. Like that's cool. People were showing me their houses, their cars, things they were able to do because they could grow their freelance business because of the free up platform. So for me, it's less about like how many houses I bought or whatever. It's all about how many people were we actually able to impact and along the way, change the way that people hired or the way that people were able to get projects. Spectacular. How do we wrap all this up into one nice bow? What are, what are we really saying here? What is the next thing that anybody listening should now do to make this as productive as possible? Yeah, I mean, being an entrepreneur is hard. There's going to be lots of ups, lots and downs along the way. You have to learn from it, and you have to stay focused on hiring. I mean, if you, were, if you weren't good at marketing, you wouldn't just say, oh, I'm not going to market my business anymore. And you can't do the same thing on hiring. Too many people, they make some bad hires. They don't know what they're doing, so they just try to do everything themselves. That is a guaranteed failure when it comes to business. You're going to have to hire people. Focus on what you control. Focus on getting better at it. Feel free to use my platform or any of my free resources if we can help you get better in any way. Um, and that's really what it's all about. When you surround yourself with A people, really awesome things happen. Absolutely agree. Such a pleasure, Nathan, to have you join us. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and opening up in the way you did. Really cool to meet you. Yeah, great, great being here. And any listener, if you create a free up account, you get a free $25 credit um, to try us out. Wow. I love that. Thank you. $25 to try out. Um, very helpful. We'll link to all that. Um, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in. If you're in the live broadcast, thanks for spending your time. If you're tuning in to the native podcast version on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, uh, leave a review. I love reading your thoughts. Well, we're going to do this again before too long. I appreciate you and your time. Thanks for tuning in. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.